Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Melbourne region to discuss industry passions, challenges and ideas. My name's Abby Green and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the software engineering market. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organisation. So welcome back to the Evolution Exchange Australia. Today, I'm joined by Jesse, the Engineering Manager from Sportsbet, Chris, Data Initiative Lead and Senior Delivery Manager at ANZ, Sammy, Head of Developer Experience at Six Pivots, and Jenny, the Organisational Development Project Manager at Mecca. And here we're discussing developing capability and supporting career development. So before we delve a little bit deeper into the topic, let's just work our way around the room and do some introductions. So Jesse, would you like to kick us off? Sure. So I'm Jesse. I come from a technical background. So once upon a time, I wrote code for a living. Um, wrote a little bit of front end, a little bit of back end, a little bit of DevOps. Called myself full hack, not full stack, because it always felt like I was jumping onto the next thing. <laughs> um, and so I ended up in a, a whole bunch of roles where I was doing some de facto people leadership. Um, and that sort of pulled my time away from from the technical skills. And I got to make a decision whether or not I would move into focusing on people leadership or my technical skills. And I decided to lean into trying to uplift the people around me. Thank you so much. And Chris, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I am Chris. Uh, my name is Shetis Nema, but you can call me Chris. Uh, I have been doing a lot of work around the, the tribe, which I lead. Uh, that's mainly around the risks, the audit, the issues, the career development. But then before that, I was a developer to start with. Then I moved on to a module lead from there to designer, to senior designer, design manager, senior delivery manager, and the tribe performance lead role, which I play. Right now, I look after a few big initiatives in the bank. That's pretty much uh, my role. And I have a vested interest in growth mindset and I love to be with people to nurture them and build the high performing teams perfect Grace thank you so much and Sammy thank you um I'm Sammy yes I'm the head of developer experience at six pivot we're a consultancy that specializes in .NET application and cloud consulting um, my role is I particularly work on best practices for software developers and agitate to build diverse teams. Um, at Six Pivot, we've been listed a few times in the um, AFR's Best Places to Work and won a few awards in their categories. I also organize um, an event called Muses Code JS, where a free coding workshop for women, non-binary and trans folk. And before my time at Six Pivot, I used to um, had a background at working at Apple in the people space, um, and I've also consulted with companies on their inclusive strategies uh, with a particular focus for women in tech. Perfect, Sammy. Thank you so much. Um, and last but not least, Jenny. Hi, I'm Jenny. I'm the Organisational Development Project Manager here at Mecca. Um, I joined Mecca originally in the talent acquisition space and um, supporting with our um, technology and digital transformation. And it was kicking off in late 2019, early 2020. So great timing on that. Um, and then stepped up to lead the recruitment team at our support center um, throughout last year. So that was my first sort of foray into leadership. Um, and then while I really enjoyed the talent space and still do, um, I've always been really passionate about learning and development. So I had the opportunity to step into this OD role, um, which has given me the opportunity to work on a variety of initiatives, including performance, careers, leadership development, well-being, and heaps of other things. Um, so yeah, that's me. Perfect. Thanks so much, everyone. Um, I feel like we've got so many discussion points to run through today, so I'm just going to get stuck right into it. Um, so just to introduce the topic itself, obviously, developing capability and supporting career development. So what does supporting career development look like to you? If you can briefly discuss that. Jesse, do you want to go first? Sure. So for me, it's all about spaces and skills. It's either a space that we want to move into or a skill set that we're trying to develop. And, and normally, I think it alternates between developing skills and then you've got a new, bunch of new skills and you go, well, I want to make use of these. So you're trying to find a space that that um, supports that. And then you go, well, in this new space, I could go and I can see some new skills I've learned. 
So it's all about which of those do people want to work out at any given time in their lives and then taking that next step and rinse and repeat. Perfect. And Sammy, what's your thoughts around how supporting career development? What does it mean to you? Yeah, I'm kind of, for me, I'm thinking about it, I guess, an employer's perspective. Um, and so when I hear things like that, like supporting career development, I think of tangibilities and clear communication. So uh, more often than not, you'll, you'll hear people say, you know, we support career development, but like, what are the tangible action items behind that? So what is like, is that clear and communicated? Uh, is there a feedback process involved? Is there leadership training um, for coaching, mentoring and feedback cultures? Uh, like, is there a professional development budget and allowance? So yeah, I'm looking at it kind of like a bit more like a high level, like, oh, what does the employer doing around career development? Um, that would be that's the first thing. I always think tangibly. That's kind of how I work. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks so much, Sammy. And Chris, what are your thoughts around sport and career development? What does it mean to you? I so much uh, in line with Jesse and Sammy. Uh, you know, that for me, it is more flourishing people in their roles. So we talk about the career development, but there are two aspects to it. One, are they doing well in their job now? Is there something else they want to do? If they, they are doing well now, they can do something else, but they need to do what they are doing well now. So equipping them with, you know, the latest technology trends so they can work efficiently and then putting them in the right space, as Jesse mentioned, putting them in the right place if they want to do something else and also identifying. Sometimes people don't know. They might be doing something really good. And then you see as a leader and identify, actually, there's another space, there's another place they can be adding value to as well. So I think that's pretty important. Of course, as Sammy mentioned, the training, the budgets and all that should be part of any good culture for people to grow and learn. So that's pretty much it. And again, the self-reflection as well. So making sure they give time to themselves to self-reflect on what else they would like to do along with the leaders. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Thank you so much, Chris. And, and Jenny, what, what does it kind of mean to yourself? Wow, I think everyone, yeah, really great points for everybody. Um, I think probably the the additional thing for me is around giving people the space to develop and learn, um, and and giving them the opportunity. I think to to try to fail, and really figure out what what things mean to them and what they want to do. So, um, yeah, what are their skills? What are their passions? Where do they see themselves going? Um, and and giving them time and opportunity to to really delve into some of those bits and pieces as well and, and and Chris I would kind of love the piece about leaders identifying opportunities for people sometimes as leaders you see really awesome skills and people that they might not see in themselves so that for me is a really key part of leadership is being able to identify people's strengths and sort of help guide them as well in terms of developing their careers. Perfect. Thanks so much, everyone. I feel as though all the points that everyone's made are, are all very valid, but all come from very different areas as well, which is great. Um, which leads quite well onto the next question, which is around, so all the three parties, the employer, the manager and employee, who do you consider the onus is on to drive the employee's career development? Um, Jesse, I'll, I'll put this question to yourself first. Sure. Um, so I think there's probably different responsibilities for each party. And there's levels of what does good look like? What does okay look like? What does great look like? So I think for an employer, being able to contribute to an employee's career development is great for retention. It's great for creating a great culture in the workplace and getting the best of it out of everyone and keeping everyone happy. Um, but I don't necessarily consider the onus on them. I think for a manager, there's a lot of perspective you can give that the employee doesn't have, whether that's just from experience or just having a, a broader view of what's going on in the environment, um, or just the perspective of, hey, I can see, like like Chris and Jenny pointed out, being able to see, hey, there's some skills you've got here that you should really lean into, or you could if you chose to. Um, I think the onus is on the employee to drive it, but I don't know that I don't think that in a lot of cases they can do that effectively without some sort of support structure. And I think normally that comes down to the manager. But it should be 
on the employee to drive it. One of the best bits of advice I've ever gotten was if your current manager isn't giving you the support you need, go and fight it somewhere else. So good managers, I think, yes, that's part of being a good manager. But as an employee, number one, you drive your own career development. Yeah, perfect. Thanks so much, Jesse And Jenny, what are your thoughts? I agree. Um, I think it's on the employer to have the, the structures and sort of, I guess, processes in place to help support people in developing their careers. Um, managers play a key role in enabling those activities. Um, but for me, I personally think that as an individual, as an employee, it's on you to really, I, I guess, sort of start that process of identifying where it is that you potentially want to go. And like Jesse said, either having that conversation with your manager and talking about, you know, how might you get there or finding somebody else that can help guide you in those conversations as well. I think finding mentors or peers elsewhere is really critical to sort of setting yourself up for success when you think about your career, but really the sort of the onus is on you to drive drive that. Perfect. Thanks so much, Jenny. And Chris, what are your thoughts? I agree. I think in the order, if I have to place, it will definitely be the um, the individual themselves then the manager and then the employee so then it's more about you know people have to understand that their career is their responsibility of course your company will help you but you have to be in control of your own career your own goals having said that companies will provide you facilities they will arrange trainings but you have to do it people can i mean your company will not do a certification on your behalf you have to you know <laughs> get into it and and do it. So I agree hundred percent with Jesse and Jenny that you know it is, it is us as an individual who need to drive our own career and look forward. Perfect. Thanks so much, Chris and, and Sammy. Um, is there anything you'd like to add? No. Every, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I think it's always hard to go like last because it's like yeah, I hundred percent agree with all of you. Yeah, I feel like um, there's like a type of maturity that employees learn. Um around mid to senior of their career that they might learn that actually like it's your career and you drive it um so there's a type of maturity that kind of comes with that and yeah i deeply agree i think um it's on the onus is leaning more heavily definitely on the employee and the manager is there to provide feedback support or encouragement or sponsorship if if needed and then the employer has those structural um pieces that they add the only caveat that i might add is that I would say potentially for people in minority groups um, that a manager probably has a little bit more onus in sponsorship. Hypothetically, you've got a a dev team that's all senior heavy and you've got one junior. I probably think that the manager is gonna like, hey, I think you're capable of, you know, kind of coach them into that. So that minority might be a junior dev, a woman, a person of color, anybody who's just kind of like different probably have a little bit of a like a higher hill to climb or a discomfort in advocating for themselves would be my only thinking yeah i should i should say i don't think it's it's for the employer or the manager to wash their hands of it Mm. like exactly what you said like i haven't had the experience working with as many minorities as i would like but i know for juniors like their career development plan almost always is i want to become a mid and there's no going back to your tangibility thing or there's no tangibility around what does that mean to you what are the skills you want to develop everything like that so there's managers shouldn't wash their hands of it because we all need helping hands sometimes we don't know what the next step is we can't see it for ourselves um, i certainly don't want to be advocating for anyone to be washing their hands just because they're not the employee in question yeah no of course and you all made really good points there as well alongside the employee having the confidence to approach management or even their employer and um, to know exactly what steps to take next. Um, which leads us great on to our next question, which is around, so how do you develop high-performing teams and nurture them? So Chris, I'll direct this question to yourself. Um, so yeah, how do you think you develop high-performing teams? Uh, yeah, before we delve into that, what are high-performing teams? And this is a very buzzword right now. So I think the teams which are self-driven which can take their own decisions, you know, they have autonomy, um, they are empowered, they prioritize their work, they see what's coming up next, uh, they collaborate, uh, 
well within themselves they escalate they don't fear that what happens if we fail uh they speak up and most importantly they celebrate their little wins i think though these are the people who we call a really high performing team and as a leader it's a challenge because i've spoken about so many you know brilliant things that for a leader to build this might be a challenge but i think first thing is let it go so providing autonomy as much as so what i'm saying is they should set up the goals and definitely should provide shared clarity but then let it go let let the autonomous team work out what they have to do create an environment where people can speak up so even if they fail they can say hey look it happened because of this reason and encourage the risk taking behaviors so the team should be able to take the risk and should be able to say hey look yes we did this we failed but this was the reason we did and i think when it comes to nurturing it's more around you know you need to have a feedback loop so people should be given feedback uh, on time and then they should be able to work on that and most importantly be there for them right as a leader you have to be there when you are required make sure there is an escalation path and then be part of the celebration the success the failures i think that's what matters and if i have to give an analogy i'll say that you know you a self driven car or a driverless car right all the components are that high performing team who are who are busy working with each other supporting each other but as a leader you know you have to provide direction you have to say where you have to go as a leader you have to say how you have to go but it's important that we let them do what they are doing because we have built them strong and that's what i think uh, for me high performing team is and as i said from time to time that driverless car will also need servicing also will need a feedback on how they are going monitoring to make sure that things are on track perfect first thank you so much sammy what are your thoughts around how to develop high performing teams and nurture them yeah no i i deeply agree with chris i think everything you said kind of alludes to like psychological safety and celebration culture recognition culture right um like celebrating mistakes and having transparency around mistakes and a feedback. I think all those good things. Um but if I wanted to be a bit more direct, I'd probably say hiring and firing smartly. Um so I think a high performing team can be brought up or down significantly by individuals like everybody kind of knows that brilliant jerk um and if you don't let that person go that will bring your high performing team down incredibly but then also your hiring needs to be strategic and intelligent and measured um so who you add so for me if yes the culture is the bed of all of that but the things that will change that dramatically is your hiring and firing and your appetite for risk really Perfect. Sammy, thank you so much. And Jenny, what are your thoughts? I know you've been a senior TA for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Talking recruitment, straight to heart. Um, <laughs> back to your roots. <laughs> I, look, I agree. I think sort of hiring plays such a critical role. Um, and I think there's definitely sort of pitfalls um, that we can fall into uh, when it comes to hiring, especially um you know, uh, under pressure, uh, unfortunately, we, we often find that we, we can make a hiring decision that in reflection might not be the right one. And then we see the impact. So, um, yes, uh, as tough as it is, I think it is that decision making around sort of the saying of hire slow, fire fast um, to make sure that you do really preserve those teams. And, and when you see that impact happening, that you, uh, uh, I guess, address it and adjust it as quickly as you can. Um, but again, sort of the, the first thing that came to mind was around psychological safety and, and building teams where they have those opportunities to um, fail fast, fail forward, as we would say at Mecca, um, but continually learn and, and, and get that feedback. We've been doing a lot of work around building a feedback culture at the moment um, and, and providing that opportunity of how to do that really well, both for growth um, and improvement. Um, so, you know, making sure that teams are, are, are getting those loops in place and, and really it becomes an everyday mechanism um, and not something that is sort of feared um, because feedback should be something that really just helps everybody grow and develop and move forward. So, um, yeah, creating safety, creating feedback and making sure that, yeah, where you see that impact you act fast would be sort of how I would build and retain high performing teams. 
that, Jenny. Thank you so much. And Jesse, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I think I think those those are great great foundational skills for building and maintaining a high performing team. The the one thing that like that those are general things that I go, yes, I agree with hundred percent. It's really hard to drill down into what that's that is specifically until you know the context of the team. So if you've got a Greenfields team that's building something from scratch, hey, you need people who are delivery focused, who are pragmatic, who are not afraid to cut the right corners. Um, if you've got a team that is trying to just maintain a legacy product, maybe you need a team that's more conservative and those sort of personality um, points come into building your team. And as that team changes, focuses change over time or it matures, um, being able to understand that some of those people that you've loved for a long time have been great contributors. Maybe they outgrow the role or maybe the role outgrows them as well. And I think that like, you know, that's leaning back into your, let them be autonomous, um, be accountable, buy when you need to, or, or help people find the, the next opportunity. But understanding the context of where your team's at at the moment is, is important to me. Perfect. Thank you so much. And like you say, with high-performing teams, I know Chris mentioned it's a big buzzword, especially in recruitment. It's how long can they be high-performing for if you don't maintain that? <laughs> um, so the next question, I know we've touched quite a lot on um, graduates and juniors in discussion points previously, um, but what are your thoughts around career development programs for graduates and juniors um, and are these programs common? So I'll forward this question to yourself, Sammy. Thanks. Um from my perspective, I'm not sure. I don't see them a lot in my view. Um, I know that there was a report from Tech Council Australia, I don't know, a year or so ago about needing 1.2 million tech workers by 2030, right? Um, and I'm, I'm not sure the investment that Australian culture has with investing in juniors and grads. I, it's not as common to see junior or grad programs kind of from my perception. You might have different, I'd love to hear. Um, but it feels very much like we're, you know, we're looking for a return on investment immediately. We're hiring more toward the top end and that investment to bring on juniors, uh, it usually drags on another team member with mentoring and whatnot. And like, what are our responsibility as employers, um, to enable that? Um, yeah, that's kind of, but yeah, my perception is that there aren't as many grad programs for as many students that are going in and coming out, they're all kind of hitting this kind of wall. And I always feel for students when you talk to them that they're actually finding it quite difficult to find jobs. But I don't know, maybe your perception is different to mine. Well, Sammy, thank you so much. Jesse, I'll pass this over to yourself in regards to um, graduate or junior programs. Yeah, I struggle to disagree with that. Um, I think in in larger enterprises that I've, that I've seen, spoken to, worked with, um, there's often a program there, but it's really a bit of a lottery as to who that junior or grad who's is going to end up sitting next to and how well supported they are. And sometimes that's a bit bit of a blowback on how busy th those senior engineers are. In smaller situations, there's often so much delivery, uh, so much pressure—not necessarily delivery pressure, but pressure on individuals—that um, it, it really is um, unlikely. I think unless there's a, a deliberate measured, hey, this person is going to, this senior or this lead is going to lose half of their time to coaching someone up. Um, I think the best of intent is there, but it, it really comes down to a team-by-team -team basis. Is, is that team being supported to give the support that that junior or grad needs? And far too often, I, I think it's, it's not. Um, I would like to see more deliberate, uh, explicit structure of we're bringing a grad in that means one person is allocated and that is that is part of their deliverables for this sprint this month this quarter this year whatever the time frame is never jesse thank you jenny what are your thoughts yeah i totally agree um interestingly enough this um it was a conversation that we had last year around um junior and graduate talent coming into the business and as Jesse said, you know, it's so difficult on sort of senior team members or even and managers of teams to then be able to really nurture and support junior talent when there is very high expectations on delivery and, and you know, lots of work going on. Um, so, so sort of my reflection was if we were to do that, I would be pushing towards having, you know, an additional headcount into the team at a more senior level that is purely focused on 
developing the junior team members because it really does need that sort of connection and and you know hand holding for lack of a better way of putting it but you know you really want to support these people you don't want them to come into the business and then not have that and have a poor experience so really it's weighing up you know what is the benefit of junior talent and what can you offer them and, and how do you make that work for every party involved um but i think yeah wrapping a lot of support around around this talent is so critical but just unfortunately um especially sort of smaller organizations are not in the position to be able to do that as effectively as i know a lot of us would like to um and yeah, the other larger organizations just have a bit more um i i guess the ability to do that a bit better than we do well, thank you so much, Jenny. And and Chris, is there anything you'd like to add in terms of um, your no, program? I think uh, I'm so with everyone. I think that's the case. The only thing is that, you know, also people need to come with an open mindset. So what our observation has been to the grads with their friends, what they do, sometimes they come and say, hey, look, I just want to do uh, cloud development work or, you know, cloud engineering. But they might not be keen to get their hands dirty with analysis work, for example, right? So I think that's also a challenge when people come, they have so much expectations. And then as um, as uh, Jesse and Jenny mentioned, to have them, first of all, appropriate role, and then somebody who can then guide them is is bit of a, you know, it's bit bit on the company and the people. So I agree. But having said that, these grads are our future leaders. So we should invest time in them. Uh, but it all depends. It's a vicious cycle. We just want to make sure that, you know, we are doing enough, but not too much to have that appropriate balance. No, of course. Um, and again, this leads on quite well to our next question, which is around the impact of remote working um, and how shifting into hybrid have you seen on the development of junior talent? So, Jenny, I'll pass this one over to yourself. So what kind of impact have you seen there at Mecca? Yeah, it's been um, really interesting because we did see a bit of an uptake in hiring of, of junior talent during the last couple of years. And part of that might be down to just how tight uh, the tech market was as well. But um, we have now shifted into a hybrid uh, working arrangement. Um, and one of the things at the moment that I'm doing is deep diving into sort of our, our learning and development within those teams and seeing a lot of that junior talent is sort of the higher uptakers of the offerings that we have in place and I think part of that is around sort of that you know last couple of years where they might not have had that sort of osmosis environment where you're sitting next to more senior people or um you know your peers that you can learn and bounce things off as is easily when you're in the office so it's been really interesting to sort of see behaviors shift and change and I did see um there was a recent survey of, of tech talent in something crazy like 60% of Gen Zers were wanting to come back into the office so is that driven by you know lack you know I guess either the lack of connection and and culture and wanting to get back into that space because they might not have experienced it before or is it sort of recognizing that there might be some impact in terms of career if you don't have that opportunity to be as connected to people that you can learn off every day so um, I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in terms of sort of people's development over the next couple of years and pace of growth and role. Absolutely. And that goes back to that idea Chris mentioned earlier um, around juniors not necessarily knowing what kind of area they want to work in. If they can sit next to people within different departments, that may also sway that decision. Um, Jesse, what are your thoughts around the impacts of remote work on junior staff? Yeah, it's... So, almost, I, I see hiring remotely as, as a great strength. If, if you can say to people, hey, we're willing to take you on remotely um, because you are in a different part of the country or a different part of the world or you're at a different stage in your life where, you know, you need to be around more for your kids, I, I think that's one of the greatest strengths you can take to market in a, in a, in a very tight market. So, I, I always encourage it. And it... It seems to be a draw card when I'm talking to grads and juniors, but then they get the, the gig and they seem to be the ones who are glued to the desks in the office. They they want to be in. And I don't know whether that's a what we spoke about um, or what was mentioned that it's it's about being people and it's it's helping them them learn, or it it can often just be a 
I'm living at home with my parents or I'm in a, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm in a house with six other people <laughs> yeah. sharing and I just don't have space to be in Zoom meetings all the time and like that's the communication, that's how I'm going to learn. So I, I'm not sure if it's a... It, it's career development stuff as, as much as a we've got a lot of, of people in that in that age range who who need the space just to do their work. Um, that's the way I'd lean at the moment. What I am interested in is, and this isn't data that we'll have for five or ten years, but understanding how different generations um, have retention for the for the availability of an office. If, if, if I have to work for somewhere that only does remote working, am I more or less likely to stay in that job versus someone who is a generation younger or a generation older? Because I think for some people, it's going to be a real, it's going to be a problem if we don't return the office. I, for one, am not a, an advocate for we must return the office. I think case by case basis. Um, but if we don't have that option there, will it actually drive people away from us? If we don't have the option, will it drive people away from us? If we don't have the option of remote working, will that drive people away from us? Um, but I don't think we'll have that answer for years yet. Yeah. No, thanks, Jesse. I really appreciate that. And Sammy, what are your thoughts? This is a hard thing for me to comment on because I've been, our company's been working remote for the past seven years. And the company before that I worked at was remote too. Um the only observations that I can add to it, I suppose, is I agree with Jesse um, in the respect of having the option. So we were 100% remote and then team wanted an office. Pre-pandemic this is, so they were already remote three or four years before. Um, so then we did get an office space and we did have a kind of culture of going in every Wednesday just to have a social day. Nobody did any work. It was it was a very, very unproductive day. Then the pandemic happened and then no that culture of going to the office one day a week was really destroyed and there's still a lot of sickness today so there's not really a comfort of um like that culture of going to the office one day a week hasn't returned and it's not detrimental to the team by any means um but it is having it there whenever we're onboarding or talking or when people are having renovations done or um their kids are screaming or they need a space <laughs> that it's available but i haven't been able to um confidently say like having a hybrid for us is more beneficial or less um and so i can't make strong commentary because we've always been remote so our experience is that remote work works really well for software developers um and um yeah it's for us it's definitely here to stay and we just have an office as an option right inside thank you so much sammy and chris what are your thoughts around remote working and the development of junior talent i think it's it's it was difficult for us right so uh, people were used to uh, having the laptop handed over to them and then to ship it to their address and all of that was a challenging bit which we overcame. But then looking at somebody working that is gone, right? I mean, that's a history now because we all work remotely. But to, the, the initial phase was not so smooth, but then slowly we learned the ways. But also... You know, people become judgmental very easily. So what happens that somebody is not online or they are not responding to your message? The first thing which goes in your mind, specific, especially when you're working with grads, oh, they're not there. Today they are enjoying somewhere. It's sunny, they're outside or whatever, right? But they might have a genuine reason. So there were scenarios, circumstances where we had to tell that, look, give them space, time. They've not responded. They might, and usually they do, right? But then it's just that, setting that expectation and I think it's a general theme people expect especially on teams or whatever you put a message and somebody says hey look I want to I want an answer but that won't happen because people have their own time and even in office sometimes you're away from a desk so that's where the challenges were but slowly we are learning and I agree that you know this is this is cool it can be done we all agree but it'll take us a little bit of time to be there yeah, of course. And Jesse, is there anything you'd like to add? Yeah, so there's one one skill that I think has been lost somewhat during the pandemic, which is making a phone call. There's almost like this reticence to to encroach in what is potentially someone's personal space, um, which I think, like, I, 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 I have distinct 
memories as a junior of like the senior who took me under the wing giving me phone number hey call me these are like this is this is how i like to be contacted and i'm someone that i try and switch off my like text notifications email notifications quickly just sort of overwhelm me mentally so like i'll deal with them when i'm at my desk if i have to step away and you need me call me but there's there's almost like this whole um I've had conversations with with juniors in my team where they go, I just didn't want to call you because I didn't want to bother you. No, just call me. I can hang up. That's all right. If it's important, call me back. <laughs> but but why can't you just call me? It's like it's office hours. You're fine. Please please do. Um, that that's one thing I think that is missing from. It's almost more acceptable to call someone if you know they're in the office. But if if they're at home, even if it's office hours, you don't want to. Yeah, no, they're all great points there. Thank you so much. Um, and the next question we're going to lead on to is, is more so, more surrounding um, investment in career development. So, Jesse, I'll, I'll pose this question to yourself, which is uh, how do you judge or perceive someone who's not actively invested in their career development? Yeah, difficult. Difficult. Do, 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 I, do I know them or am I interviewing them? So if I'm, if I'm interviewing them, like, I... I, I don't love the hey good developers work on projects outside of hours like you can be a you can be a great engineer um and and keep your engineering time to to work um i don't love the you have to be constantly aiming for the next rung on the ladder so again i go back to this idea of spaces and skill sets and spaces doesn't necessarily have to mean my next promotion um I do look for people who have an understanding of where they are in their life, what they want out of their current role, um, and some view of some view of growth. So, if if someone comes to me and says, "Hey, you know, um, I'm going through a tough time in life because of personal reasons. Um, I really just want to focus on being consistent at work." Like that. That to me, maybe it's not traditional career development but it's a hey this is something i'm building some resilience right now and i'm okay with that if someone comes in and goes uh i don't really care like give me the attitude you know get give me the sense that they don't they don't really care um and their work's kind of lackluster like no that's not someone i want to want to work with if it's someone that i've been working with for a while and start to see that develop i'm probably probably more worried about hey has something changed or going back to has this role outgrown you and maybe it's time for maybe maybe you should be a bit more invested in your career development um that's a roundabout way of saying i try not to judge people for not having the typical markers of looking for specific things in their career development and i try and understand where the person is right then but if there's just if you're just giving me nothing then I'm probably not going to want to work with you for too long. No, I really appreciate that, Jesse. Thank you. And Sammy, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, this is such a nuanced conversation because what um, what's the definition of career development? That's such a wide term. So I agree with Jesse. It's like, oh yeah, like is it pathways or are we talking about um, the coasters? Like, what are we talking about here? If somebody doesn't want to keep getting promoted and they're happy to be a senior developer and like that's what satiates them and drives them every day and they're still learning i'm okay with that i think that's great like no there's an aspect of um some people falling into the rat race and they're always like i want to be a team lead i want to be a cto i want to be a direct you know and it's just like like what what is driving what's your motivation so there's an element of not being so involved with the rat race that i really admire when somebody's like i'm happy here and I love my work and I'm good at it and I'm still curious. I love learning new tech and I'm still understanding why this does this. Like for me, that's really great. Um, I guess what we're talking about in the sense of skills um, and if you're falling behind in skills and coasting or whatnot, um, I guess the the sentiment that's missing for an individual like that is um, they don't have a fear of failure right like we want people to have like a healthy fear of failure you're keeping upskilling you you're staying up to date am i asking you to go beyond and try to be a cto wide term um so if we're talking about skills i don't mind if somebody's happy where they are as long as they have a healthy fear of failure and like continuing to like refine your craft but going beyond and 
future pathways and um i always question when people are so obsessed with the rat race and like will that really make you happy is the job do you really want to do that do you want to be in meetings all day and doing proposals and estimations <laughs> like was that what will make you happy or are you happy writing code like what what is truly what drives you is probably more my interest Perfect, Sammy. Thank you so much for that insight. And, and Chris, what are your thoughts? Same, like, you know, I'm, I agree with Sammy and Jesse that so people will be at different levels, different, they will have different circumstances in life. So we can't say that, look, at this point of time, you would like to do uh, what next, right? But then they should have a self-drive and that self-drive can be, no, I'm happy right now, I'll do this. But Along with this, I would like to do this. Or they would have a drive to say, no, I want to do somebody who, who want to grow right, in their role. It can be in their role, but who want to do something, something new, something innovative in the job to make it better. I mean, I believe that everyone should make the place they are in better for others who might follow them, right? And that's if that's not there, then it just... It's, it's more does for everyone, for them as well. And I think they don't understand. So, yeah, I'm so with uh, Jesse that, you know, people have to have some self-drive, whatever circumstances might be. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much, Chris. And Jenny, what are your thoughts? I agree with Sammy that going last is really hard because um, everyone has great <laughs> points. Um, I think, yeah, a, a combination of all of those things. Um understanding where somebody is in their life in their career in their role what is driving them and motivating them um you know if you've stepped into a new role and somebody's then like what's next that feels like a bit of a you know a tough conversation because you're like I'm still learning and developing in this really wanting to continue to learn in their own space and their own skills um it actually can can start to hold I guess a, a team an individual and a company back because naturally everything else is progressing and moving forward and if you're not trying to even keep up to date with what's happening in your area of specialization that can have quite a negative impact so I would always be wanting to see people at least passionate about what they do and their space and wanting to be able to talk to that and continue to learn and be interested because I think that's how everybody keeps moving forward and that doesn't necessarily have to be up into that next role um but yeah how, how do you keep that sort of passion and interest alive yeah, these are all really great points as well like you say tech is always ever evolving so to maintain that level um within the teams is, is really really crucial as well um and this leads on quite well to our next question which is around growth mindset and how how it can help individuals excel so chris i'll put this question to yourself um so yeah, what what is growth mindset to you, and how can how can it help individuals? Thank, no, right? <laughs> that's and that's where the growth mindset is not alluding to, right? So the growth mindset says that look, you don't know, but you can know, right? You, you can still try, you can still do it, and that's where the growth mind. That's what growth mindset is. Now it is more around the attitude to learn. And to build some strategies to do better. I think that's that's how I would say. Now, we talk about IQ. We talk about EQ and AQ. So IQ is intelligent question, right? We all know what it is. Emotional question. So now it has come in. It's a big thing that how emotionally we are balanced. But most importantly, now, the, now what we talk about is AQ, which is adaptability question. And that's related to, to growth mindset. We all need to be adaptable to adjust. So for example, I have engineers working with us who are working on-prem on Unix environments, right? And they are, they've been working for years. But now if the company has a drive to move on to cloud, naturally they need to work on this, learn this and move on, right? So that's, that's where the growth mindset comes into excel and how so people with growth mindset they see challenges as, a, as an opportunity so they see all right this new thing has come it's a challenge but i'll do it i can take it it helps them come out of their comfort zone so they they might be doing something they've never done in life but they might succeed right and so they might learn something around that 
the people with growth mindset they always take feedback very constructively usually so what it means is that if somebody has said something which is not true they will reflect and they will think okay yep oh all right i can improve and then i can do better so i think it just just helps individual to understand that you know there is a way to learn and continually improve in what we do Fantastic, Chris. Thank you. And and Sammy, what are your thoughts about growth mindset? I think tech often talks about growth mindset. Like I don't know if any other industry talks about it as much much as we do. Um, and I feel like it's that way because people in tech are kind of naturally be somewhat of a cynical mindset sometimes. Um, but it's an effort to improve the solution and make it better, but it can significantly slow down things at the same time. So I feel like that's why we talk about it because it's like, oh, let's try this, but you can't do this because of this. And you're trying to help, but then it kind of like slows everything down, right? Um, so we talk about growth mindset because we're trying to battle that. But we all know this textbook, but I'm sure we all do it in our jobs. So um, I think something um, that I've seen done is the, um, to create the space of a growth mindset because it's your natural analytical technical ability to be like, hey, but that won't work because of this. Um, and talking about things like imagine if workshops. So what workshops, sorry. So we start the meeting with like, let's imagine if, like what if we did this? Like it's safe. Like let's not try to like pick it apart. Um, like let's see what we can come up with. And I think Disney or is it Pixar have Imagineering or whatever. Um, but I think that's why we talk about it regularly because it's our nature and because it's important. We're building. Why? So it's very important. Um, but yeah, in some respects, sometimes I think it does lean a little towards cynicism. Um, hence, needing a growth mindset. I feel personally attacked. Yeah, right. Jenny, what are your thoughts? Um, I think linking back to what Sammy said for one of the previous answers, but around that sort of healthy fear of failure, but applying it in the sense of you're going to get things wrong, but what do you learn from it? What are you taking out of those experiences is growth mindset to me. Um, and having the opportunity to do something new that you might never have done before and to learn something completely new and apply it, um, but do that in a really sort of, you know, you feel quite safe in that way. Um, and, and being positive, I think, you know, the people with the best growth mindsets are the ones that are really comfortable with getting feedback and and seek out feedback. I think you can see your high performers through their desire to have feedback, to help them continue to grow and develop, learn and move forward is, is really critical. And that's how you just get continue to get better. Jenny, thank you so much. Last but not least, Jesse, get the boxing gloves out. It is really a challenge going last. We're all such an agreeable lot. Um, so there's, there's two thoughts I have there. One is um, I think I stole this from a Stack Overflow post. Every senior engineer I know is a junior engineer who pretended they were senior until they got there. Um, I, I love that. That goes to the willing to step out of your comfort zone, willing to try things. Um so I use that one a lot. There is a risk to that, which is that you will constantly think that I've got this when when maybe you should be asking for help. So I, I, I love the step out of your comfort zone, but with with a degree of humility um, is the thing I'd add there. I'd also say that I think in a lot of situations, I'd probably in a lot of situations when you've got an opportunity or a tech stack, um, I'm using that as an example, could be something else, but let's say a new tech stack, like you said, Chris, um, trellis, right? We've got, as a business, we've got a need for you to go this way. We will help you go that way because we need it um, and you will grow and that's great. I think it's equally valid for people to go, you know what? I'm not a vine, I'm a sunflower. I'm going to face my own direction and I'm going to keep growing that direction um, and those are equally valid. So I know I've had a few instances where people have just said to me you know what Jess I'm I'm a back-end developer I've got no interest in learning front-end um, you cannot get me to do it if other people want to do it that's great but otherwise you've got to think of, of the skills profile of this team and, ma and make sure that it, it works appropriately for the tech you're trying to support uh, so yeah growth mindset can can look like 
working with the team can work look like going your own way and i think they're both equally valid thanks so much for that inside jesse and um, and again this can go back to our next question which is around performance evaluation so uh, especially to your point there, Jesse, when you are assessing people's skills and giving the opportunity to sit down one-to-one. -one. But what are your thoughts on formal yearly reviews or informal regular connections? So, Sammy, I'll pose this question to yourself. Yes, I used to have a strong opinion on this. I do not anymore, so I use that. And I used to think informal regular connections is the key. But I'm starting to rethink that, and I was, like, I was keen for this question, mainly to hear your thoughts and ideas, because I feel like yeah, formal yearly reviews was not a popular thing. However, if they're formal and informal and regular, um, are, are we sure that um, team are actually picking up the feedback or like the formality is lost in some sense and they're not hearing sometimes or there's sometimes a yearning for it. And so I, I feel like there is a solution in between these two. I don't think the formal yearly review is the right answer. And I'm not sure if informal... Um, regular cadences is also the answer um, and so I'm actually in the midst of trying to figure this out but there's something in between like I don't know if there's an an informal formal quarterly like hey let's have like a, a retro on how you're going um, because team will very strongly say we don't want formal yearly reviews but then they also would like you know how am I going and they do want that formal conversation but it can't be formal is kind of what I'm you know picking up in my travels um on um, informal or informal catch-ups. It's a very interesting topic um, because <laughs> we have just moved into a quarterly cadence. So we were mid-year, end-of-year review. Um, and sort of what we were realizing, we've grown significantly in the last couple of years. Um, and that was just no longer working in terms of those end-of-years reviews being effective. Um, things were changing so fast throughout the year that whatever goals or objectives you'd set at the beginning of the year were sort of a little bit redundant by the time you got to the end of the year. So we've moved into this quarterly cadence and really that is to help you have more regular feedback and reflect on what you have done in the previous quarter, but then also to align everybody on the quarter coming. So you're not spending time necessarily focusing on things that are no longer, I guess, priorities so that way we're building in this mechanism of of having more like formal but informal touch points and opportunity to provide feedback and to make sure everyone feels really comfortable about what they're doing and then hopefully the the sort of aim is that we would get to the end of the year and you've got sort of these I agree I think a whole year is just too long and in, in the pace of which we are working and, and change is happening at the moment um and individuals and, and teams are wanting to have more touch points with their leaders and, and, and understand what their priorities are. So it's really important to sort of build that in, but not not overcook it either. You know, you don't want to be having a formal review every quarter because no one's got time for it. So how do you find that balance? Yeah, great insight. Thanks, Jenny and Jesse. What are your thoughts? I I have a strong opinion that we should not have we should not need all more abuse i think they are um processes that we put in place to protect ourselves against maybe not deliberately bad managers but 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 bad managers so if you're doing a good job of giving regular feedback of keeping your team accountable of setting clear direction then um I don't I don't think the formality is needed and it's extra overhead. Managers just because they're in the wrong wrong role and there's lots of people who, you know, they're not doing their job great at the moment and having that formality to go back to when, when they're not doing a great job of being a manager is helpful. So I think to protect every employee, we need some formality or structure, but it's really disappointing that we need it. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Jesse. Um, and Chris, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think it's it's really interesting. Um, and thanks for putting this question. Definitely, we don't. I mean, I I agree that if possible, we wouldn't need a formal review. Having said that, you know, because of the bad managers, as Jesse said, we might. But I have, like, you know, I have an interesting incident where in my formal review, yearly review, I was actually mentioned that 
oh, you didn't do this then. And I said, when? And they said, it has been eight months. And I said, oh my God, you are waiting for this time to give me that formal <laughs> feedback, right? So I think well, our, you know, our aim is to have a better team and, and irrespective us providing feedback should not wait that long. So uh, I think it's it's the company policy, right? So you can't just change it. Managers have rights and they should ideally provide feedback on the day. For example, if I did something horribly wrong, they should say, hey, look, I felt like today in the meeting you were a bit aggressive or, you know, you shouldn't have done that. So because then people can learn and grow there and then instead of waiting for, say, you know, eight months or 10 months and then have that. So I agree. I think quarterly makes sense. Uh, but leaders should not shy away from giving the feedback on the spot. Are those, yeah. are those quarterly reviews needed if you're having weekly or fortnightly one-on-ones? So, yeah, go on, Jenny, you will. That's right, my hand. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think in terms of um, what we were trying to do is a lot of a lot of the time a one-to-one is really sort of what is going on in terms of workload and what are you trying to get through or what do you need, you know, a, a yes or a no on and to keep things moving. So what we really wanted to do was hold specific space for people wouldn't need to, we wouldn't need a formal process, but it's, it's really tricky, I think, to find um, that balance between kind of that that work in progress versus feedback loop so finding finding that is the key um and not falling into the trap of not getting that feedback but i think chris on your point as well um how do you get it to the point where where things happen in the moment people feel comfortable providing feedback as it happens versus waiting for an end of year review or even a quarterly check-in if something happened two months ago personally that's too late that's you've not addressed it in time and bringing it up then is not the right moment either so again jesse to your point there's a leadership uplift that has to happen um and that's you know a big piece of work too yeah Yeah, Uh, that's chris is there anything you'd like to add yeah no no and i think uh, sometimes when you work with leaders who don't talk as much uh it's bit you don't know what they're feeling and you don't want to wait for an year to know. For example, if somebody's, the feedback can be both ways, right? Somebody might be really keen and interested and might be so proud of you, but unless they tell, you don't know. And that usually happens in that, you know, the formal stuff, which is again a problem. So I think allocating time in our one-on-ones for the formal feedback might be a good idea, but as a team, you know, people want to know how they are doing, right? Whether good or bad, but that should be, that should happen. And Jenny, do you see that as well? I just think on that around good performance as well, feedback is a mechanism to retain good talent. It is a huge risk if you're not regularly providing feedback to your strong performers because they don't know that they're perform, like they then won't know that they're a strong performer. So even having those regular touch points just as a retention tool to make sure that people know that they're on the right track is so critical as well. Yeah, yeah they're all great points. Thank you so much. Um, so I know we've touched on some programs that are in um, each of the departments at the moment, but what kind of initiatives or programs have you implemented to encourage skills enhancements or career growth? Um, so Jenny, I'll pose this question to yourself for the next. Um, Yes, we we have a a few different ways of sort of, I guess, encouraging career and skill development. Um, In general, we have a really strong learning and development culture, and that comes out of our sort of retail space. Um, And now kind of, I guess, expanding that into head office and and our other sort of areas of the business. But um, we have our own internal learning system, which we call Mechaversity, but we also have a partnership with LinkedIn Learning. So we're looking at how do we um, I guess provide the time and space for people to jump into there if there's skills that they would want to develop. Um, we're now doing quarterly manager training to help uplift leadership capability um, and looking at other programs that we can develop. So I think there's a whole sort of 
I guess a whole heap of different ways that you can support development um, and really it's around looking at the different cohorts of your business because what might work for one might not work for another and individuals and in, in different ways of learning and, and what people want to do and what they have the time and space to do as well. But I think having those options is really critical and we know that learning and development is is a big driver of retention for employees. So even having those offerings there to make sure that um, when they do hit a point that they're ready to either look at what that next opportunity is or try and explore different areas, they've got those tools in place to do it. Yeah, perfect. Thanks, Jenny. And Jesse, what are your thoughts um, around any kind of implementations that in, to enhance career growth? That I've done personally or just that happen around me? Yeah, or um, even just programs that you know of, yeah. Yeah, so uh, there seems to be, all right, credit to AWS, um, AWS seems to be absolutely everywhere trying to get me and my team members to to upskill on their on their platform. <laughs> um, so well played to them. Um, yeah, most companies I've worked with have had some sort of learning budget. I guess the thing for me that I always try and push on on myself, my peers, my team is um, uh, giving yourself permission to and almost expecting yourself to to take advantage of those things. Like when you're hired somewhere and and there is a program. Um, to, to allow you to learn or a learning budget if you're not spending that that's money that's been allocated to you that you're walking away from um, and it can be really hard for, for people to feel like that's okay so I normally you know if I've, particularly if it's a, like a direct report of mine I'll open up my calendar and show them the here's the hour on a Friday morning that I've got booked out for my professional development here's the thing that I'm doing try and lead by example and, and be explicit with the permission I'm giving you hey an hour a week. If you average out an hour a week for your professional development, I see that as a really good investment in your role. Please do. Um, I, I'd be really supportive of that. So, yeah, that's 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 my big my my personal program. Please, please yeah. make use of the things that are there. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks, Jesse and Sammy. I know you're part of a loads of uh, initiatives and programs that are great for minority groups. So, yeah, what kind of programs uh, have implemented to encourage skills enhancements? us when it comes to professional development we actually used to have a problem because um the majority of critical mass of people in our team are software developers um and we used to have a problem where team just weren't uptaking pd um and it's sometimes just the nature like um a lot of the devs would just do side projects on their own that, that that's how they prefer to learn a lot of them don't like to go to conferences some of them do but um people learn differently um, and so there's not one kind of clean sweep, like, yes, I've got this budget for you. Anyway, long story short, we really worked on it. Um, and we released a policy that was unlimited professional development. So this meant in time and money. So you can, we'll pay for all your flights, accommodations to go to a conference. We did see a little bit of an uplift in team going to conferences. Um, we saw team taking more time to do side projects. So dedicated time off to do their side projects, present them to the team um, and talk about things like that. Um, so that we did see a lift in that in some respect, but in my experience, most software developers, you know, that they're curious and they will just tinker on their own. You don't really need um, an employer to carve <laughs> out space. They kind of just go do it. Um, but I want to support and encourage that tangibly wherever I can. So that did help improve or we were just worried that there wasn't much PD happening, but it is. It's just not really as easily documented for devs, I guess. Some of them are con you know, contributing to open source or whatnot in their own time. Um, in other aspects, we had we ran a, in our first internal mentoring program recently. That was really great. Um, or team to like um, cross-share information and encourage and support. So we found that really useful. Um, we also released, um, I guess, our skills and practices moving into the future. And so then team could then align, oh, the business is looking to move in this direction. Okay, so we want to upscale this. I'm keen to go do those. And so that was kind of add, um, allowing a bit more rigor or structure for direction instead of, instead of kind of self-guidance and curiosity for doing you know, Kubernetes or whatever. You know? um, so we're at a, a healthy state of PD now, and I think the learning and sharing is good. But it was—it's a different insight, and like I can only speak to my team, and that's how they like to work. Other teams might be a bit different, but that's what I learned about ours. Yeah, I love the fact as well you mentioned the collaboration between different teams as well. And as a recruiter, I look at so many GitHub accounts and so many side projects. So no, I, I know exactly what you're talking about there. And Jenny, is there anything you'd like to add? 
It was more, I just had a bit of a question, but Sammy, have you figured out a way of, I guess, capturing some of the learning that the teams are doing so that you can have visibility over it? Yeah, so we have a lunch and learn culture. So team, after they've been to a conference or something, will kind of present back um, and share that kind of learns or they'll share in like the programming channel, like this is what I learned. They'll kind of have like a high level retail or team, if they're working on a side project, like recently present um, and they're having time carved out dedicated to working on that because the project's really useful for us and the knowledge of the team building. Um, but yeah, no, they're quite, I feel like devs, like good devs who are curious will just continue to do PD on their own. Um, so we just want to make sure we support it. So we're lucky in that respect because software developers as a group are kind of naturally like that. Mm. So I can't speak to other teams like sales or marketing or whatnot, um, but that's what I learned for us. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much. And Chris, what are your thoughts about uh, initiatives and programs? Yes. So then I, I think we run a lot of programs, but personally for me, it is more also on like jobs, on job training. So what we have done, we have identified some mentors who would like to mentor people and there are mentees who can join them. So they take them to the meetings or have their own catch up. So I think that also helps. There are so many pathways we have for engineering, for data, which people follow. The partnerships which we can have with uh, many organizations, um, you know, that's also there. But yeah, I, I think these are the the big, big ones, and it's going very well. Perfect, perfect. And like you say, there's so many different ways that you can collaborate with teams and how learning and development can change over time as well, like Sammy just mentioned. Um, but yeah, before we end the podcast today, uh, I'd just like to say a massive thank you to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. So once again, our guests today have been Jesse from Sportsbet, Chris from ANZ, Sammy from Six Pivot and Jenny from Mecca. So if you're hiring any new technical roles or looking for a new role yourself, feel free to reach out to us here at Evolution. Or if you know anybody who would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message anytime. Thanks again to all of our guests and thank you all for listening at home. And we hope you can catch us again on the next episode of the Evolution Exchange. Yeah.